0: If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada
1: At participating McDonald's. I'm optimistic that science will come good in the end. And, and if you look back over the course of history, uh, you know, life now is a lot better than it was 100 years ago, or 200 years ago, or 300 years ago, because science has allowed us to understand the world. And in understanding the world, we've made our lives more comfortable, you know, whether it's medicine, whether it's in technology, uh, than, than it's ever been before. And I say, see no reason why that shouldn't continue.
2: You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team with the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.
0: Hello, I'm Alexander McNamara, online editor at BBC Science Focus magazine. Every Tuesday morning, physicist and science communicator Jim Al-Khalili presents the long-running radio programme The Life Scientific on BBC Radio 4. On the 5th of November this year, the show celebrates its 200th episode, so we caught up with Jim just after recording this landmark show. He talked to us about what it's like to work on The Life Scientific, he fights the corner for creativity in science, and reveals why research and scientists keep him optimistic about the future. Remember, if you like what you hear, then please rate and review the episode wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really helps get the show out there, which means we can bring you even more interviews with the people at the forefront of science. And now here's Alice Lipscomb-Southwell talking to Jim Al-Khalili.
2: So Jim, you're the presenter of BBC Radio 4's The Life Scientific, in which you talk to leading scientists about their work. I've just recorded the 200th episode, or that's what you just told me anyway. Um, so can you tell me who that episode was with and what you chatted about?
1: Yes, um, for the 200th episode, it had to be a very special one. Uh, And it's my old friend, Demis Hassabis, who is the CEO of DeepMind, the AI research uh, company. um, And he, I mean, the guy is just a genius. So I've just spent an hour and a quarter chatting to him. uh, And then my um, editor, uh, we'll have to. The producer will have to edit it down to 28 minutes. So uh, that's going to be challenging. <laughs> we, we covered a lot of stuff.
2: So, were you talking about all the work he does at DeepMind, or has he got anything exciting new on the horizon?
1: Uh, loads of stuff. In fact, I mean, it just, he, he does so much. And also his life is so interesting that, uh, you know, it's hard to fit everything in. Very often, a lot of the guests on Life Scientific, you know, they will have had the, the sort of very sort of traditional, you know, I was into science and I went to Oxford or Cambridge and I did blah, blah. Uh, and then I got my PhD and then I published these papers. And then, and, and then you talk about their science. Or sometimes they have... The science is probably not that earth shattering, but they have a remarkable life story journey. Um, with with Demis Hassabis, I think it's both because, you know, the guy is, it, it, he was a child prodigy. You know, he, he was, um, he learned to play chess at the age of four. Um, uh, he, he watched his father and uncle play and um, they, so they taught him how to play. After two weeks, he could beat both his father and his uncle. So realize there's something weird going on here. He 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 became the second um, ranked player in the world for his age, um, winning tournaments all over the world, reached sort of master level, and then retired at the age of twelve. <laughs> um, he got his all his A levels at the age of fifteen or sixteen, and then uh, then before he, he was too young to go to Cambridge, so he went off and joined a computer um, video game um, company and wrote a um, multi-million selling best uh, best selling game. And, then, and and you know and that's that's before he even got started on setting up Deep Mind. So uh, you know a, a really remarkable, um, remarkable chap.
2: Well, that's an incredible story. I mean, I can barely play chess now. You know, it's, I mean...
1: <laughs> it's scary, isn't it? I, mean, I remember my my son running me close when he was about 11, 10 or eleven years old. I was thinking, "Oh, he's only ten or eleven. He's already as good as uh, as I am at chess." But to be beaten by your son when he's only four years old, oh, <laughs> ah, <yeah>, that's something. <laughs>
2: So, on that note, what have been some of your favourite or most surprising life scientific interviews to date?
1: Um, I think that the, the, the surprising ones are the ones where I, I, you know, there are fields of science that are very far from my own. You know, I'm a, I'm a theoretical physicist, uh, and so I'm always fascinated to learn about stuff that's very very different from what i do you know whether it's you know ornithology or or or, or, um uh, neuroscience or, or, or sort of environmental science um the surprising ones are the people that i've never heard of myself before i mean i you know a lot of my guests i know already but people i've never heard of and then you you find out about their work and you think how have i not known about this person. You know, this is the person who discovered such and such. And, you know, the the remarkable untold stories. I'm very often as as surprised and fascinated as I hope the listeners are. You know, it's not so surprising when I talk to, you know, Peter Higgs, uh, you know, about discovering the Higgs boson, because, you know, even if I don't know the details of his life until I do the research for the program, I know who he is. I know what the Higgs boson is. And so uh, it's well rehearsed. A lot of scientists who are good communicators you know who are in the public eye you know the brian Coxes of this world also great fun to interview but we're just mates chatting (laughs) Uh, so so the ones that i really enjoy are the unexpected gems you know people who have devoted their lives to something that i I suddenly feel the world really needs to know about these people
2: well you've interviewed now 200 experts um I was wondering if you've got another 200 lined up or if you've got anyone on your wish list um, of who you'd still like to interview.
1: Um, I've I've got a lot of people on my wish list. <laughs> I, it's interesting we have, um, so my uh, um, series producer, Anna Buckley, and I are, are sort of constantly adding names to the pool of, of uh, potential guests for the future. Um, of course, Anna works in the, the BBC science radio unit uh, and there are dozen, you know, a few dozen producers who work in, in, in the science radio unit, and and of course, you know, all the other science programs that go out uh, from, from the units, you know, whether it's Inside Science with Adam Rutherford, you know, or Infinite Monkey Cage, you know, there's lots of other programs that are made. Um, so lots of those producers are interviewing scientists all the time, and they share Names you really have to have so and so on. They're brilliant, and and so we 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 add constantly. Add names. I keep thinking of more people to add. Um, I often get emails from from people, uh, and and so very often if a good idea comes up, I will bash off an email to Anna and say add so and so to the list. So we we never we and nor can I see in the future us running short on, on, on scientists. It's interesting that when it's uh, life sciences first got commissioned. I was asked by people in the BBC, well, you know, all very well, but, you know, once you've done Richard Dawkins and Robert Winston, you know, you know, who else is there? You know, they couldn't think of, you know, a whole list of other scientists. And and I found that quite surprising. I said, well, you know, if I was interviewing, I don't know, novelists or musicians or, or, or you know, some, some other, any other walk of life, you wouldn't ask that question because there, there's, there are hundreds or thousands that we could call upon. It's the same with science, and I think now people appreciate that with 200 in 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 the bag, there's no reason to think there aren't another 200 more or many more hundreds more. I hope. I keep joking that you know I'm going to be uh, sort of doing a Melvin Bragg. So Melvin is well, must be in his mid 70s now. He's still going strong with the life scientific. Uh, with sorry, with with uh, with in our time. Um, so uh, why sh- why should I still be presenting the life scientific 20 odd years from now? <laughs> um, and and I don't think I'll run out of guests. You know, we um, there are still many great and the good that wait, I haven't interviewed. There are there are um, new brilliant young minds coming uh, to the fore now, and new discoveries being made all the time. But I guess in in uh, to answer your question whether I have people on on the wish list, I I tend to of course want to interview people from my own field of physics Uh, and um, in particular there are a number of scientists probably from the states that uh, that I'd like I'd like to have on on the program now I've I've interviewed a number of physicists uh, uh, for America Neil deGrasse Tyson um, uh, Sean Carroll um, you know there's 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 been half a dozen or so more and then you know the great uh, other names in the biologists, E.O. Wilson, for example. But I guess um, let me think. If if I if, if I could choose, maybe a couple. I'd say Ed Witten, who's the the sort of the father of uh, string theory and M theory, or Stephen Weinberg, Nobel Prize winner in physics. They're they're, they're both sort of heroes of mine. Um, who you know, I've, I've I think I, I realistically I've got to wait for them to bring a book out. And then when they come over to the UK to uh, to publicise their book, we'll nab them and, and have them on the show.
2: Yeah, pounce on them then. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And we're on the, on the lookout for people like that because uh, you know our budget doesn't extend to me and my producer going over to the States and, and going on tour, uh, interviewing these people. We've got to wait for them to come to us.
2: Why do you think it's important that people should care about scientists and their lives?
1: I think to a large extent, why does society still view scientists uh, as, you know, the the boffins in the white lab coats and assume they're all of a certain type? You know, um, you know, the, the geeky, you know, the stereotype of what a scientist should look like and the way a scientist should behave. And the fact is, firstly, scientists are people. And so they have the same um, foibles, they have the same weaknesses. They have, the, you know, the, 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 they make the same mistakes in life. They get lucky, they get unlucky. But also, science itself is so broad that you 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 cannot put, you know, someone who spends their life on a cliff edge counting um, uh, birds nesting in Antarctica is not the same as string theorists working at CERN. You know, or uh, the, the science is so broad, and therefore scientists, their personalities, their training, the way they think is also very broad. You know what? What the the commonality is that we we are curious about the world. Uh, and, and, and we apply the scientific method. This is a phrase that we often hear, but I mean it's it's true. You know that you know the, the fact that you know you have a hypothesis, you try and test it, you you, you do an experiment, or, or or someone else does an experiment that you check your idea against. Um, but we are all curious. We're all asking questions about how the world works. But after that, we diverge. And, and so I think the, the wider society is 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 starting to realize, hopefully certainly those who listen to The Life Scientific, and, you know, I get two point something million listeners every week, they're starting to realize that actually science is so broad and scientists are so diverse. And yet they have these incredible, amazing stories to tell about how they came to discover what they did and how their science is very often changing the world.
2: And it's inspiring, isn't it? If you, like you say, it's such a broad subject and people might say, oh, well, I'm not a theoretical physicist or I'm, I'm not clever enough to do that. But you think, well, no, you can. There's so much you can do. You know, you don't have to just go yeah. down this one area.
1: Exactly. I mean, that, I mean, that, that is the, the – the, uh, uh, it's such a shame, isn't it, that, you know, people, you know, kids at school say, oh, I'm not good at maths. I could never be a scientist. I know plenty of scientists who are rubbish at maths, but they're brilliant at doing their bit of science. You know, there's 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 so much – uh, you know all you have to be to be a scientist is curious about the world. So to keep asking how and why. Um, thereafter you 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 choose what what grabs you, what lights your fire, what you you feel you have a talent in doing. and and there's all sorts of directions that that you can take in science
2: so when you touched on that you said that um you know science can help people and it's great for the world but i mean um sometimes when you look at the news and social media at the moment it does feel like it's quite a pessimistic time so having met some of those incredible minds and some of the brightest people out there are you quite optimistic for the future
1: i i am naturally an optimistic glass half full sort of guy i mean uh despite you know the current climate of you know politics and and the rise of populism and and uh, the fact that social media means that you can't tell what to believe and what is true and what is fake um i i, I, I remain optimistic i mean I, it doesn't mean i'm optimistic about you know how uh, the, the uk economy is going to unfold in the current climate in the coming months and years um or indeed whether i'm optimistic about what you know, Donald Trump is going to do next. But but longer term, I, I have a faith in humanity that uh, by and large, we will come good in the end. We'll sort things out. Of course, we make mistakes. And of course, the news is always more likely to report on the bad rather than the good. But I still feel that most people are decent. And when it comes to science, yes, science can also be used for good or evil. Science in itself, actually learning about how the world works and putting it to use, is is neutral. You know, it's not good or bad. You know, knowledge sh- is always better than ignorance. It's it's how we put it to use. And, of course, there are uh, many examples of how science has been put to evil, you know, whether it's atom bombs or, or, or whatever. But, um I still think that you know, dis- despite the uh, the pessimism that some somehow, in you know, some sometimes we can feel weird. we're sort of drowning in at the moment. I think science is going to help humanity in the in the long run. You know, I, talking to Demet Hasabis um, for the 200th edition of the Life Scientific. You know, he's he's talking about AI and how AI is going to he hopes, help humanity solve many of the the problems and challenges it faces. And, you know, I agree with him. I think there are certain issues, whether it's uh, antimicrobial disease, whether it's climate change, you know, whether it's uh, energy supplies, you know, the big problems facing humanity it may well be that artificial intelligence is going to help us solve those problems. You know whether you know whether it's in science and medicine or whether it's in other areas of wider society. So, I'm I'm optimistic that science will come good in the end. And and if you look back over the course of history, uh, you know life now is a lot better than it was a hundred years ago, or two hundred years ago, or three hundred years ago, because science has allowed us to understand the world. And in understanding the world, we've made our lives more comfortable, you know, whether it's medicine, whether it's in technology, uh, than, than it's ever been before. And I say, see no reason why that shouldn't continue. So I, I refuse to, uh, to stay pessimistic for long.
2: No, that's best way, be half full. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. <laughs>
2: um, so back on the Life Scientific, then, what makes the Life Scientific special compared to some of the other science radio shows and podcasts out there?
1: Um, well, I mean, uh, of course, what it has in its favour is the prime spot it has on the BBC schedule. When The Life Scientific started eight years ago, it, it was actually the brainchild of uh, of the then controller of Radio 4, Gwyn Williams, um, who wanted a regular weekly slot at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, so immediately following the Today programme, which runs at six till, till nine on, on Radio 4, every other weekday... Had a recognized, recognizable slot, recognizable program that, that had been going for a long time. It would start the week with Andrew Ma on a Monday, you had Midweek on a Wednesday, you had um, In Our Time with Melvin Bragg on a Thursday, you had Desert Island Discs on a Friday. Tuesday was the only day without this regular program. And so her idea was to have this half-hour program in which a scientist interviews, chats to other scientists about their lives and their work. And, and you know, I was uh, flattered enough to be asked to, to present it. We didn't know what format it would take, but, you know, gradually it found its, uh, its, uh, its footing and, and uh, uh, it, it's developed into a real fixture. So as I say, we, we get over 2 million um, listeners every week, which is a, a, a lot more than, for example, the number that would watch a BBC four documentary that I make. You know, in fact, even some of the BBC two documentaries now, uh, you know, which have reach a wider audience are are very lucky to get 2 million viewers. Mm -hmm. So, So in that sense, it's different from other science programs and podcasts in that it really does reach a much larger audience. And these are not people Crucially, who who say you know it's like you know, there's a, if you're into science you will subscribe to a certain podcast um, um, if you uh, or, or you, you'll say oh there's a good documentary on on BBC Four about black holes tonight I want to watch so you will deliberately go there to listen to or watch a particular program with the Life Scientific it comes on at the end of the Today program and so people just have their radios on so it's not aiming at people who have an interest in science it's aiming at anyone who has an interest, who's curious and has an interest in the world. And and so it's reaching out to people who wouldn't probably normally be aware of some of these um, uh, subjects or know about the some of these scientists. So in that sense, it, it is different. And it also, I find that the guests on the program, and I have to say that no one has turned down an invitation to be on the Life Scientific. Oh,
2: fantastic. You know,
1: it's, it's quite, you know, we've had, what, eight or nine Nobel Prize winners, three presidents of the Royal Society, three or four government chief scientific advisors, you know, all the great and the good, all the as well as the unexpected gems that I was saying earlier, the people that people, people haven't heard of. Um, they've all wanted to be on the programme. And what's nice is that, because they're talking to me and they see me as a you know I am another scientist, they feel at ease. They're not being interviewed by an investigative journalist, you know or 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 someone who doesn't understand the science. They know that I get what they're doing and and they open up and and i've I find you know the the, the success in 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 interviewing someone is for them at the end of the recording to say, oh, that time flew by, or I can't remember what I said because, you know, you got me to open up and say lots of things that I didn't think I was going to talk about. So putting the, the guest at ease, um, part of it is because they know I'm a fellow scientist and I'm genuinely, and I am, you know, genuinely interested in, in their work. So for those reasons, I think it's, it sort of stands out as, as, a, as a, a way of, of getting science across to wider society Albeit, I have to, you know, admit Radio Four listeners, you know, <laughs> who, you know, and the demographic is maybe slanted slightly towards older than, than younger listeners. That's that's the nature of Radio Four, um, but it's still re- reaching people who wouldn't normally be be aware of some of these scientific achievements and 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 and, and the people that do them.
2: Because uh, public engagement in science is really important to you, isn't it? Because you already hold a chair in that. Um, do you think science in general has a bit of a problem with engaging the public? Or do you think it's getting better? It's opening up a lot better? Or can you think of ways we can fix it if there are any issues?
1: Well, I mean, of course, there are, there, there are still issues. But I mean, we've come at a tremendous uh, way in the last cu- uh, couple of decades. Since I, I, I first started communicating science probably about 25 years ago, uh, seriously. You know, I I, um, uh, I followed a, a very traditional academic route. I was never, I'd never planned to communicate science. Um, uh, and I always say when people now come to me, you know, young, you know, my students or, or young researchers saying, how did you get into science communication? How do I go about getting into that as well? I say, well, first you have to decide whether you want to be a science communicator, which is an absolutely, you know, fantastic, career option to do uh, to, to, to go down or you can carry on being a scientist who communicates uh, and so so I, I don't regard myself as a science community I'm not a professional science communicator I'm a scientist who communicates and and, and that that distinction didn't exist or a scientist who communicates uh, wasn't really taken seriously when I first started out in in the mid 90s. You know, I did a, after my PhD, I did postdocs and then I, I became a, a lecturer and then I got a research fellowship and I was writing papers and going to conferences and getting research grants. And every now and again I would do the old school talk or do a quick interview with a journalist and realized I I enjoyed explaining what I do to someone, to a non scientist and seeing them inspired or, or infused or excited. As much as I enjoyed discovering the science myself in my research, and 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 so what I wanted to do was both. And and you know, I talked to senior colleagues. and I said, "Look, why can't I be a research academic, still doing my research, still teaching undergraduate students at university, but at the same time, you know, doing science communication?" And it it wasn't a thing. Uh, and and what has changed, I think, dramatically, particularly in the UK. I mean, m- more so than any other country in the world. Um, is that that has become now acceptable, and you look around, there are a number of scientists who are still actively doing their science, uh, but who also do tremendous um, communication work. And and universities in particular are very encouraging of that. You know, you know, a lot of universities now have you know chairs in in public engagement in science as a as a respectable academic post to hold. Uh, so, so I think that has changed tra- tremendously in the UK, and we are very much moving in the right direction. You know, there are still issues. You know, we we, we worry about you know the the, the fake news and the, the the people who have had enough of experts. You know, the usual uh, we, scientists uh, in their ivory towers and what do they know about the real world? So you're always going to get those sorts of uh, concerns, but I think by and large um science communication is is in a very healthy position in this country
2: science communication is maybe seen as quite a creative thing to do but a lot of people think that science can't be creative it's very sort of like it's a scientific discipline there can't be creativity there but that's not true is it because there's so much creativity in science um and communicating uh, people in different ways
1: yeah i mean that that's just that's one of the things that that uh, is one of my bugbears really that people talk about? You know, when people talk about STEM subjects, you know, science, technology, engineering, maths. Is it maths? Yes, that's the M for maths. Um, and then they say, well, you know, we've got to bring in the creativity, so you've got to bring in the arts, so you change STEM to STEAM. And and that, that, I mean, I find sort of deep down that 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 actually annoys me. Not that I don't think art is 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 important, and that, that you know we we can't have everyone just doing STEM subjects. You know the humanities are vitally important to make us rounded human beings. We need to understand history, we need to understand art and music and 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 and, and the social sciences. But art itself, of course, is creative. The the idea that creativity comes from the arts and that science is about regurgitating or learning facts about the world is completely wrong learning facts about the world well that that's that's that, for me that's no different from history and learning sort of kings and queens and dates history isn't about learning the names of all the kings and queens of england or the dates of all the important battles history is about interpreting the past uh and and in the same way science is is creative science is about Looking at nature in different ways, understanding how nature works, understanding how the world works, and without create even in in the hardest of sciences, in something like mathematics, there's an incredible amount of creativity that go goes into it. So so yeah, creativity is something that I hope and and it's sort of the sort of thing that I sort of quite often bang on about in the life scientific. You know that any of my guests, where as soon as we we sort of stray into the subject of creativity, we get get onto this hobby horse of of how creativity in science is just as important as it is in the arts
2: um in your sort of physics work at the moment is there anything in particular you're working on or is there anything new that's coming up
1: uh well i'm i'm actually very uh, um, busy actually with my university side of things because uh, we recently um, uh, over a year ago um got a big uh, research grant at surrey university where i work uh to uh Uh, work in this new area uh, of of, uh, interdisciplinary science I'm interested in called quantum biology. Uh, And so I, I now supervise five, soon to be six, PhD students um, all working essentially they're working in theoretical physics they're basically doing quantum mechanics but with potential applications in in molecular biology and so they're keeping me very busy they're keeping me on my toes I'm having to meet all my students every week um and and they're doing very exciting stuff and i um, it's giving me a new lease of life because for a while I wasn't you know my my research really went a bit on the back burner I was doing a lot of tv a lot of um, broadcasting work a lot of writing now I'm 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 back doing a lot of research, reading research papers, publishing papers, applying for research grants, and and it's exciting. It's got me it's, the, the mind is 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 fizzing and bubbling again. Um, and I've realised push comes to shove. If I had to choose one thing, I would revert back to being a research physicist. You know, only you know that of all the things that I do. That is really my natural home. I'd be sad to give up The Life Scientific. I'd be sad to give up the, my, the, the, the public science work that I do. But ultimately, uh, it's, it's doing my own research that I think I find the most inspiring.
0: That was Jim Al-Khalili, who presents The Life Scientific every Tuesday morning on BBC Radio 4. You can catch up with previous episodes online, or you can look out for his two books, The Life Scientific, Explorers, and The Life Scientific Inventors. Jim's new book, The World According to Physics, will be published next year. If you want your life to be a little more scientific, the latest issue of BBC Science Focus is packed full of features, news and interviews to help you make sense of the world around you. In the November 29 issue, we look at the inspiring projects that could save our seas, find out what would happen if we all quit fast fashion, try to solve the mysteries of sleep, and ask whether peaceful protests can inspire meaningful change.